0: This is the Hunt for Wellness Podcast with Jason Tompkins, 47 Mud Pie. It's another great day for wellness and this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tuna Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And, and Pax, it's good to be back. Uh, I am super excited about our show and, more importantly, about the topic and the subject matter we're going to cover today. Uh, We're going to talk about something that has gained a lot of attention, uh, certainly over the last couple years and a lot of attention in the last couple months and something as F3 we really are trying to make – concerted effort into identifying and learning more about and, and reaching out to our brothers in the gloom and family members that surround mm-hmm. us. And so the topic we're going to be breaching today is around mental health and more specifically suicide and even more specifically than that, um, kind of how to deal with a loss. Um, I think there's a lot of information or a lot of talk rather out there about identifying those that are suffering. And, uh, how do we as individuals step up and, um, be supportive or step in or do what we can to do suicide prevention, but Mm -hmm. there's less information or at least what I've came across about how do we, or how to get help or how do we cope with the aftermath of suicide? Mm -hmm. Uh, if unfortunately, if somebody that we love or someone near and dear to us, um, you know, uh, loses their life due to this. How do we as individuals cope and grieve and, and, and do that. And that's exactly what we're going to tackle today. We are blessed, um, in our, uh, F3 brotherhood to have a specialist really Mm -hmm. around this topic. And, um, he's willing to come on, uh, today and share his expertise to help me and you and everyone that listens to this podcast, um, with how do we, a, Ah, uh, comfort those around us that might be dealing with this. And then mm. more importantly, if there is a, a personal connection uh, in and of itself with you, how could you maybe find resources and what you can expect to do to 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 get beyond um, or, or or through the grieving process, if you will? And so mm. our special guest today is none other than Jason Tompkins, or otherwise known in the gloom as Mud Pie. Welcome to the show, brother.
1: Thank you, Bones. It's really nice to be here. Uh, kind of a neat opportunity for me to talk about something that it's interesting. It's a really important part of my life. It's something that's important to me, but not something that I ever wanted to be part of my life. You know, this uh, we we who are suicide survivors sometimes talk about we're in a club nobody ever wanted to be a part of, and we never willingly pay the admission fee for this club. Um, but but on the other side of that, finding a silver lining. I've met some of the most amazing, resilient, um, heartwarming people in this club. And if I have to be here, I'm, I'm kind of glad to have their support.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine, uh, you know, the sentiment of that. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things we want to be part of in life and have yeah. experience in life, and this is certainly not one of them, but uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and your vulnerability and, and your willingness to share. Um, before we dive into all the details of that, however, uh, let's start at the genesis and, and just up front of of your F3 origin. Uh, How'd you get involved with F3? Why the name Mud Pie and where you currently post?
1: Yeah, so I've constantly long-term struggled to get my, as we say in F3, my king and queen in order. And so I've always needed a gym or a trainer or something to help keep me on track. Well, that was going great until COVID hit. I was like, man, I don't feel, I love the gym and the trainer and the people were great, but I couldn't feel safe in there. So I backed up, and I got a Peloton, and I was just going to town on that. But I missed being around people. I missed, like, exhausting myself next to someone who was encouraging me. Um, and I, I saw a post on Facebook. I got EH by Facebook. It kept popping up in my feed. It was like, what is this? And I'd click on it. Say, okay, I'll put it in my calendar. It must have been about three months of that alarm going off at 4.50 in the morning that I slept through it. And whatever it was, one particular morning, I decided this is the morning that I'm going and met some of the greatest group of guys. You know, it's, again, working shoulder to shoulder, exhausting ourselves, different fitness levels, but everybody kind of striving for the same thing. It's just been wonderful. Um, And in my professional life, I'm surrounded by a whole lot of wonderful, amazing women. They're great. I needed some testosterone in my life. (laughs) So to be around other men and to be able to have that experience of sharing in the gloom with the other packs is great. And um, I grew up in Mississippi, um, right outside the capital of Jackson, Mississippi, in a small town called Byram. So as I was introducing myself, the guy said, Mississippi Mud Pie. And so that's kind of how Mud Pie has come to be my, my moniker.
0: Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. And so just for clarity, um, when you were seeing those Facebook ads, where, where were you living and, and where was the region?
1: St. Petersburg, and we, we posted in the berg. We called St. Petersburg, Florida the berg.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, kudos to those guys for posting those ads up there and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that way. And that's just a testament to, to all the regions out there. If you're listening, uh, you know, social media works and utilize yeah. it the best you can to, to mm-hmm. attract guys that are looking for what we all know we all need, which is that male yeah. community. And uh, I like you is surrounded by women in my clinic, and mm-hmm. which are great. They're, they're, they're yeah. perfect for for what I need as far as uh, day-to-day operations and what I need to run my office, but uh, I was missing that male companionship and, and brotherhood and, and I find that F3 does serve that awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: professionally speaking, you kind of alluded to that, um, you know, we're gonna talk about obviously the subject matter. Um, what do you do professionally and how does that tie into today's t- uh, subject?
1: Yeah, so in my professional life, life, I'm a psychotherapist. I run a private psychotherapy practice. I see patients from teenagers to adults who are dealing with all types of different life issues. Um, I have a group for young adults who have Asperger's syndrome. I see a lot of husbands struggling in their marriages for different reasons. Um, and so that's kind of my, my main position in life is, is a professional um, and before that I worked in the foster care system and before that I had a short stint as a as a youth pastor. So this is always where I wanted to be as a private practice um, practitioner, helping people understand their minds and kind of think about the things that are hard to think about.
0: Yeah and we definitely need more of you out there because as we mentioned you know mental health and Uh, is skyrocketing if you look at the statistics here just even the last 18 months as a result of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. and and all across the board but more specifically the increase in adolescents and teenagers and young adults is just an epidemic as we as we look at and then we know in our military families uh, our family uh you know the, the the rate of suicide amongst that community and it's just you know we need people to talk to and resources to, to dive into. So walk us back a little bit about your personal history around yeah. this and, and kind of what you've experienced personally. And we can kind of then dive into some of the strategies and stuff that others can use.
1: Yeah. And as I was preparing, getting ready for today, I... I I know myself enough to know that when I'm planning something and I write down five pages of notes for something that I can probably talk about without the notes, I must be quite anxious. So I sat back and I thought, well, what's going on? And this, even though you've kind of talked about me as an expert, like this is stressful. This is a kind of a sad conversation to have to kind of revisit those things. But I actually think this is one of the strategies of people being courageously curious enough to kind of say, this is what's going on inside. These are the hard things that I need to talk about. Um, and in preparing, I was I was remembering my first awareness of suicide was actually as a middle schooler on July 4th. And my parents, I wouldn't do this today. but My parents had let my brother and I just roam the streets and have fun and fire fireworks off wherever we wanted to. And then all of a sudden we heard sirens uh, approaching and we ran in the direction of the sirens being curious kids and it turned that someone had had ended their life that and then the noise of the fireworks you know it wasn't noticed and the family must have noticed i remember being very curious and just kind of stupid like teenage boys are stupid not knowing what was going on and then i saw the grief on the family's face and i realized oh this is serious Oh, this is a this is a really heart-wrenching thing I'm glad that's not my family. Um, and so, as I went on through my training and education, suicide was always the, the issue, if you will, that I didn't wanna have to have to work on because it's a really complicated issue. Um, but little did I know in 2006 that it would become a part of my family and a part of my life that we'd never be able to avoid. Um, my, my, uh, my mom died in 2006 by suicide. Uh, mom was a neonatal in- intensive care unit nurse. She worked with some of the sickest, tiniest babies who rarely had a chance to, to live beyond a few days. And it turns out she had an illness inside of her that was eating in her for years and years and years, a, a mental illness. There was a history of trauma. Um, in her life, growing up, and in our family, I have a, a young sister with a traumatic brain injury that my sister, that my mom had to, you know, help take care of. So there was all these traumas that had happened, um, and I remember just being devastated. I was on uh, vacation up in Mississippi for Thanksgiving, and uh, my mom had gone to visit some friends for Thanksgiving because she and my dad were getting a divorce, and she was going to be with her friend. And the friend called me and said, "Your mom's not well. She's in the hospital." Well, she'd had some medical issues. So we thought maybe it had to do with that. And then as time went on, we found out that she had been overdosing on some meds over a period of days. Um, so we got in the car and drove four hours to, to say goodbye. And I just remember being so just devastated. like, how does this happen? How could this happen? And had to come to terms with that this was an illness that she had. It wasn't something that she did to me. I felt like suicide some one of the things about suicide is feels so personal to the survivors as if they did it to them. And in a way, it does affect them, but it's not done to them. You know, it's, it's a fine line there. So that was one of the hard lessons I had to learn was that, that mom had an illness that as much as I loved her and as much as everyone around her loved her, that we weren't able to help her. I think we were able to do some things to prolong her life, improve her life. Um, but, but we were up against some competition that, that we yet don't have a way to cure every time. I think there's, prevention's important. There are a lot of things we can do to prevent it. So that was a hard journey. That was a hard journey, kind of going from you know, having a mom to not having a mom, to coming to terms with her dying in that way and what that meant, and then restructuring what our family was in the aftermath of that. That was just so difficult. Um, and then I'm thinking, okay, like, that's that's the hardest thing I'm going to have in life there that that's that's the centerpiece that, you know, I'm just going to be kind of the the 9-11 of my life. Right. That's going to be the hardest thing. And I'm going to remember that I'm going to grow from that. And then, um, gosh, my I have a, you know, I had I said have and I still have and had him uh, a younger brother, um, David, who. um struggled with substance abuse all of his life uh, from a teenager, like he was using different substances. And he went to treatment seven or eight years ago. We were all hopeful and excited. Um, You know, long story short, he he ended up taking his life last November. So both of them died in November. Um, And boy, that was just another situation of, oh, my gosh, not again. Like (laughs) this other thing was supposed to be the time that it happens. Don't make us go through this again. And I was furious and I was angry. Um, and the lesson that I had to learn with David was more about memories. One of the things I said at his funeral is that I I really do believe that one of life's most generous blessings is our ability to remember things. Any point you want to remember something or relive something, you just go back to that in your memory. Like your your wedding day, the, the, the day your children were born, or for me, the day the saints won the Super Bowl. Like those are the days I can go back and like relive. But unfortunately, our memories can also be our worst curses and the things that bring us back to experiences that we never wanted to begin. And with David, I had to come to terms with both types of those memories, you know, seeing both parts of him. And um, I did not want to idealize him or demonize him in the aftermath of his death. He had great parts and he had troublesome parts, just like I have great parts (laughs) and troublesome parts. Uh, Anyone who knows me can, can let you know that. Um, but it was such a hard thing to see David on balance for who he actually was um, and, and come to terms of what, what his illness was and, and how much uh, it had taken over his life. Um, you know, the, the loss of my mom I've been talking about since 2008. I got involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We can talk some more about that in a minute. But I've been working with a lot of their programs, and it got to a point where, like, that's pretty conversational. I can have that conversation about the different parts of our life. But my goodness, when, when David died and having to kind of go through that experience again, and it's still kind of fresh. Um, you know, I, I keep thinking it hasn't been all that long ago. Uh, and my F3 family has just been wonderful, you know, asking from time to time, how are you doing? And I was in the process of moving offices at the time and all of a sudden had to go to Mississippi to, to help take care of this. And the guy said we're there so they came and moved my office for me they were, came it was only it was from one story to another it wasn't different buildings um so i'm real thankful for the guys stepping up and, and helping in such a terrible time
0: yeah and that is the blessing of f3 and uh, we see it all around and across the country in all circumstances so i love the fact that you have that network around but and you know I, I guess i didn't realize it was that recent that your brother mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. lost his life and 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 wow, um, I can only imagine the rawness that you probably still feel being yeah. less than a year ago. Um, you know you talked about you know losing your mother and you talked about mm-hmm. the shock and all the emotions that kind of you went through. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that process for you personally about you you mentioned kind of getting involved in some of these organizations. was it something that you kind of sought out immediately? was it something you had to work up to was it people reaching out and showing you resources what was some of those factors involved to kind of get you through that first experience and then we can kind of circle the wagon with your brother
1: that's a good question I I would say that there are two different answers to that one was there weren't people reaching out to me because I think there's not a lot known about the available resources so someone didn't say oh I know this over here you should go over here Um, so I had to reach out and find it. But the other part was I had to internally be ready. Like in those days, man, um, I would stay, I would stay up as late as I possibly could. And I was obsessively watching my mom's funeral video over and over and over again. There was something about, it was a beautiful ceremony of honoring the sick and the healthy and wonderful part of her. And I just couldn't let it go. And so like I wasn't in the mental state to be able to kind of organize myself and find a group, find something to go find the support. Um, I had already been in psychotherapy at the time. So I had that support and knew that I could go rely and and lean on the therapist and kind of process some of those feelings. Um, But my venture into AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention happened in 2008. Where we had a fund a local fundraiser walk and we call that the out of the darkness walk it's it's usually about a 5k walk um and now here in the tampa bay area we have three walks they have about a thousand people at each one and there is something incredibly powerful and comforting about walking in a mass of people now some of these people are survivors like i am some people are attempt survivors who've had their own struggle with suicide but everybody there is the kind of Everyone there is to, there to further the mission of saving lives and spreading hope to people who are impacted by suicide. And so it was just such a comforting place to be somewhere that I, I didn't have to ask, I didn't have to tell, like people just kind of looked at each other and they got it. Um, I read a book called um, No Time to Say Goodbye by the author Carla Fine. Her her last name is spelled F-I-N-E. I I don't know if it's Fine or Fine, but the book is called No Time to Say Goodbye. And in the appendix of that book was where she listed the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So I went on Google and found it and got connected um, and then became part of the, the local chapter and helped build the chapter here and we have this other program called the international survivors of suicide loss day which always happens the saturday before thanksgiving and it's all over the country you can find it wherever you are either in person or virtually well back in those days um, we didn't have a local program to tampa bay and so i would stream the program at home and i was (laughs) i'm laughing (laughs) because it's kind of silly but i was unloading the dishwasher while streaming this in the background, I think it was just background noise. But what ended up happening is no, lie, It took me an hour and a half to empty that dishwasher because what would happen is I'd put a coffee cup away and I'd cry. So I can't cry anymore. I need to go put another coffee cup away. And I went back and forth and back and forth between these two places. And there were there were a couple of things I saw in that video that, well, one thing specifically that just confused me so much. I was I was familiar with the anger the hurt, the sadness, the betrayal. And even though it was difficult at the time, I was familiar with the feeling of relief, as hard as that is to say, because the turmoil in my mom's life, I would no longer have that as part of mine. But the part of me, and I get choked up now thinking about it, the part of me that was so confused was I'm watching these people, some people who had just lost somebody, and they're smiling again and they're joking again. And I thought, how in the world did they get to the point where they could do that again? I've got to figure that out. I know I may not smile and joke all the time. I'm kind of a jokester by trade, by by nature, but it was just something so compelling to me that they could get themselves back to that place. And I, I tell survivors that I talk to and work with, it's that kind of courageous curiosity. We don't have to do anything but being curious about something we see in other survivors can help us get just a little bit of healing, and just a little bit of healing is a lot more powerful than we think it is
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's powerful and, and and to your point, that is a <clears throat> you know a, a thought that i don't think a lot of people think about to your I, I, I think I guess what I'm thinking about is you know the anger the grief the why the mm. trying to figure out, you know, what has and could have and should have and all those mm-hmm. type of things. And then just to kind of ultimately, how do we get back to that joy in life and that smile and, and moving mm-hmm. on? And, and I think that's something that's probably overlooked a lot by people that yeah. aren't going through that similar experience. Um, You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned um, the AFSP. And so just from a uh, context standpoint, mm-hmm. listeners, um, you know, they have a website, AFSP.org. And um, I had a brief chance to look over it and it's fantastic. It's got lots of resources. So let me encourage you to, to visit that if you ever do. And then there's lots of information about walks. And mm-hmm. I was able to just, you know, they, they kind of uh, geographically located where I was based on, you know, my browsing and suggested North Carolina South Carolina Virginia some of those chapters and was able to pull up the North Carolina one and mm-hmm. uh there's lots of opportunities um specifically you know right here um you know in the Charlotte region and mm-hmm. uh in the surrounding areas of the state so let me encourage anyone and everyone that's ever been um you know or, or dealing with this or want to learn more about that to visit that website so mm-hmm. uh, That's great. Now, so I'm assuming you have participated uh, in these walks now. I mean, the first one you were Mm -hmm. speaking about being virtual.
1: I'm assuming Mm -hmm. now you're a a regular participant moving forward. Yeah, I am. The, um, The virtual event was our Survivor Day program, which I can talk about. The walks I've been doing since 2008, and it really is the highlight of my year. One of the highlights of my year. Uh, Because you think about the contradiction between people who have either struggled with suicidality themselves or lost someone to suicide and the despair and the grief and the shock and the horror. I mean, I'm saying those words, but the experience of those words just can't be encapsulated just in a word. And you see them all come together and we're smiling and there's music and we're honoring our. Loved ones that we lost it's such a beautiful beautiful testament to strength and resiliency and and the hard work it takes to be a survivor and um, AFSP has a yearly overnight walk so the community walks are usually 5ks kind of shorter but the overnight walk is a 16 or 17 mile walk literally overnight and you walk out of the darkness in the sunrise and I did that twice, once in Boston in the 50 degree rain and once in Dallas, and once it was 100 degrees at midnight. <laughs> it was such a challenge, but was so encouraging just to be around other people. And I think that's one of the things that I, I encourage survivors to think about a lot is find your team. And I think F3 has got a great paradigm where you already have this kind of connection and fellowship of men together so as we go through things in life like we've got that team already around us and help like the guys did for me when david died but this is not a journey that's meant to be walked alone in no way like i don't know how i would have gotten through one loss much less two if i had to journey this by myself
0: yeah i mean the importance of community is so um, real and having that support system, obviously you have F3 this time Mm -hmm. around, um, it was not something you had for, for, you know, your mother. Um, and then let's just be honest, most of the people out there that are dealing with this probably do not have an F3 community to surround Mm -hmm. them. So, um, what are common resources that individuals would have to kind of to seek this out. I mean, obviously you found that book, you mm-hmm. read it, you saw this website or this organization kind of listed mm-hmm. in the index. Um, mm-hmm. But out there, what, what are the, the more common things that we can point individuals towards that would help mm-hmm. them kind of move in that healing journey?
1: So um, the walk itself isn't designed to, just to be a support for suicide loss survivors. But it is that anyway, and that was my first experience. And the, the walk is a fundraiser, but you know, I go and I encourage people to go to the local walks whether they've raised or not, because there's such a sense of community and you get to see other people who've been through something like you. So that's helpful. The other thing that a lot of communities have, I know we have several here in Tampa Bay, are suicide loss specific support groups. Usually they meet once or twice a month. If you go to the AFSP website and you click get help and then you click I've lost someone on that page, there's a directory of all of the support groups in the country. Um, And I went to a support group after reading that book and I could barely talk that first support group. The grief and sadness was just so like real and tangible. I can feel it and see it and hear it. But my gosh, the moment somebody else in the room said my mother died from suicide and I was able to look at that person and say, I'm not the only one. And that person had a little bit more time after their loss than I did. I was able to kind of get a little more grounded. There's such It's, it's, it's what makes F3 so great. Like there's something beautiful about the fellowship of this and to be able to share a journey. So Support groups are wonderful. Um, And again, those are on the website. AFSP also has the International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. Like I had mentioned, it's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And that's a, a program where people come together and each area is different. But in general, we have a mental health speaker. We have a survivor tell their story. We show a video that's been put together and and discusses suicide loss. And then what I think is the highlight of the day, but also for some people, the most stressful part of the day is a discussion group. So we get all of this information and experience taken in, and then we get a chance to go and kind of process what we've just seen in light of whatever loss we or the other person might have had. And one of our... Uh, last couple of years, we've had, you know, a situation where someone came into the group and they had a, a child, I believe, who died, what's commonly referred to as suicide by cop. You know, they forced the law enforcement officer to have to shoot him. And she stood up and she was just so heartbreaking, as you can imagine. And said, I feel like I'm the only one this has ever happened to. And as soon as she finished up, somebody else stood up and said, no, ma'am, you're not. It happened to my son, too. And it was just such a beautiful moment of connection. And there's a lot of shame, I think, people feel, a lot of stigma that I think people feel. Different faiths and religions have kind of stigmatized suicide, and different religions believe they can't be buried in alignment with whatever that faith uh, culture is. And so it kind of gets internalized that the family's bad. This is something to be ashamed of. And shame is such a paralyzing piece. So. I'm going on and on, there's Survivor Day, and then we AFSP has a unique program called Healing Conversations. And in short, it's a peer support program. So people who've lost someone to suicide have found some of their own healing and now are available to go into the community and meet with people who've lost someone recently. Um, And you can find that information under that same tab, AFSP, and then I've lost someone.
0: Gotcha, fantastic resources. I appreciate you elaborating on that. You know, one of the
1: things I did want
0: to cover and, and talk about, because I think what I want to share is some practical tips and mm-hmm. some things that individuals uh, and, and certainly PAX members that listen to this podcast can utilize if they find themselves um, with a loss of someone, a family member or, or a close relative or a friend rather, and what they can do. Um, I'm certainly sure that there's things that resonate with people that are grieving and going through this and there's things that absolutely are are probably the wrong thing to say or assume so Mm -hmm. maybe walk us through some of those practical things if you if if you are somebody that was grieving um, what are some of the things that maybe even you use in your own practice and how Mm -hmm. you approach that with an individual knowing that obviously every circumstance is unique and every person is on their own healing journey, but maybe Mm -hmm. there's some specific tips or whatever that you can kind of guide us through to maybe get somebody along that path.
1: One of the things, and this is more personal than it is clinical, but it has been really helpful for me is I actually look forward and sometimes hope someone will ask me about my brother, you know, tell me about David or how are you doing You know, what, how, how are his kids doing? He's got uh, two teenagers himself and, equally important is that someone knows that they're not the one to ask about the deceased you know if someone is uncomfortable with suicide uncomfortable with death and they want a, a quick fix or they're not able to sit with someone in their pain and they want to make them feel better that's not the person i want asking me to tell me about david um, because really it's more helpful to be able to talk about him and, and depending on where a person is in their grief, one of the first important steps is to be able to process, I know that's a vague word, but process and contain the feelings around it. Like an example of that was when mom died, my experience with David was different, but when mom died, like, I feel like I didn't stop crying for six months. Like, and you can imagine trying to get through your life, again, as a therapist, not, not, you know, crying for six months was difficult. I was doing in-home work and I would drive from driveway to driveway and cry and then go in and work and come out. And so to be able to kind of take care of oneself in those moments, back to the basics, sleeping as well as you can, eating the way you need to eat, physical activity is really important on so many different levels to take care of the body and the mind um and and another important part that people people need to get to a point that they're able to do this is put an authentic narrative together about the deceased person's life so my struggle with my brother and i had different struggles with my mom i was furious with her how could she do something so selfish how could she do this to me i felt like in a very selfish place my brother idealized her mom he tattooed her initials on her back on his back so she would always have his back and what we both needed to do was put together a more authentic picture of yeah she was great and she was loving and she had our back sometimes and she was out of control and very ill at other times and to be able to kind of internalize and I, I feel like I'm doing therapy talk I don't know if I am but to kind of have a true kind of internal experience of this is who she really was And that can be difficult when someone dies by suicide because the manner of death is so shocking. And usually the course of their life has been so chaotic. But but to find both sides, both pieces of them. And again, to reiterate, this is not a journey to do by yourself. Whether someone finds a therapist, someone comes to one of the resources I mentioned before, or in the COT, in the gloom, you, you sit down and say, oh, this is what's going on with me, guys. I need you to know that I'm having a hard time with, with grieving whatever this loss is. Um, I think it really is about a community. And some people find journaling helpful. It was helpful for me to write letters to my mom in the aftermath of, of her death. Um, and um, and, and taking, taking advantage of those unexpected moments. I have a, a friend who coined the phrase, at least to me, ambushed by grief. These moments where all of a sudden you're just kind of overwhelmed. And I think sometimes we can unexpectedly be ambushed by joy. An example of this would be, one: I have a a 12-year-old now, um, and one of the things I look forward to in fatherhood was that I would never, ever, ever have to, this was my fantasy. I never, ever, ever have to, like, really worry because my mom is a neonatal intensive care unit nurse would always know, oh, son, this is nothing or, oh, you need to take care of this. And so mom died in 06. I became a dad in 2010, and I was furious. Uh, this is what she's missing. Like, how could she not stay around for a child or a grandchild? And uh, I was in Starbucks one day and um, waiting for my daughter's mom to come take my daughter and, and I'd go to work. And it was one of those times, if you're a parent, you've been there, Bones, you know it. That diaper just spills over. It's just all over the place. I'm in my work clothes, and Cecilia is just, like, making a mess, and I'm saying not nice things in the middle of Starbucks, but I got to do what I got to do. So I went to the bathroom. And I'm cleaning her up. It just got worse from there. She got her feet in it. She's flinging it all over the place, and I'm ready to just crawl out of my skin. I'm mad at my mom. I'm mad at Cecilia. And I look down at my daughter, and she's grinning. And for a second, wherever that smile came from, I don't know, but I'm grinning. And like, this is pretty ridiculous. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty like silly. And insane. I'm laughing just like I am now. And then for a moment, I thought. These are the moments that I kind of didn't know how to appreciate before, like another piece of me was kind of re-navigating to be able to say, I can miss my mom and I can enjoy life at the same time. You know, mm. surviving suicide grief isn't about getting over it. It's about finding a way to throw that load on your back and carry on with it. And that's what that moment gave to me in the middle of that dirty diaper was being able to carry that load on my back and, and go on with it.
0: Yeah. Wow. Uh, kids will do that to us, won't they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the innocence of them and they just bring joy. Uh, yeah. When we find it, obviously I have two teenagers now. there's certainly moments that uh, I don't look at them joyfully. <laughs> but, but, but if I'm being honest with myself, I mean it's just amazing to, uh, certainly when you see that young baby and they just smile at you, it's just something pure and, and just joyful about it. So that, that's a unique story and, and, and neat story and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know you we, we've talked a little bit about um, some steps that, you as an individual who has maybe experienced the loss of a loved one. Um, and certainly there's lots of resources out there around people, um, you know, for people that trying to identify those that might be, um, you know, leaning towards, you know, hurting themselves or whatever, Mm -hmm. but then there's another category and this might fit the majority of the list, uh, the mass majority of the listeners, which might be, you know, you yourself might not be struggling with suicide you may not have a loved one that uh, has been lost to suicide but you certainly know someone who mm-hmm. has had a loved one that mm-hmm. um and 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 i think there's an awkwardness maybe around that like how do i talk to that individual who is currently now going through this grief process Um, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously most of us aren't professionals like you, uh, most Mm -hmm. of us aren't equipped to sit there and, and, and possibly counsel them one way or the other. What Mm -hmm. are some practical tips that you can maybe help us understand to, to maybe approach others that are, might be going through this grieving process Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. maybe some things to say, and maybe some things to avoid when it comes to that.
1: Yeah. Well, the quick and easy answer is avoid quick and easy answers. <laughs> like there okay. aren't any. You know one of the things that's said in so many support groups for people who have lost someone is there are no quick and easy answers and sometimes there aren't any answers at all. And we have to kind of come to terms with their answers we're not going to get. But one of the things that's helpful is it, it, people often tell me, well, Jason, I'm not a professional like you. Well, this isn't really a professional trick. Invite me to coffee. How are you doing? Like, I noticed, you know, your brother died not that long ago, or whoever it was. Like, be willing to have a conversation. Like, I'm, I'd be happy to hear about your loved one. Um, and, and it really is important to kind of be able to focus on what the survivor's experience is. They're feeling sad. They're feeling angry. They may not ever get answers to why their loved one died. And we don't have the answers either. So to be able to sit and bear witness to kind of what they're going to through um, there's a
0: quote. I oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to cut. I wasn't going to cut you off, but, uh, you know, I, I do want to kind of elaborate on this point that you're making because, uh, you know, you've obviously personally gone through this twice. Um, I think as someone who's not gone through it personally and knowing some others that have, um, mm-hmm. I think there's a thought process that goes, I don't know what to say to them, or I don't want to bring yeah. up that person's name. You you, you almost try mm-hmm. to keep it s- superficial, like, hey, how's the weather? Or you mm-hmm. it, you almost feel like you don't want to breach that intimacy yeah. with that person because yeah. you don't know how they might react or yeah. if they're ready to talk about it or whatever. Yeah. But it sounds like maybe the opposite is true. And and of course, mm-hmm. every person is unique and every different. Every person is but- different. But, but maybe kind of speak into just that importance of the importance of being able to talk about that person and why that is healing to that person.
1: It's healing because then it helps me or whoever the person is understand that their loved one mattered, that their loved one's life had meaning, their loved one's life had purpose. And you think I think just striking me now to think about this, but when people die and we continue to talk about them, their life still has meaning. Think of all the historical figures we talk about, like their life still has meaning. And I think that's one of the most painful things someone can go through is to feel that their life or someone else's life doesn't have meaning. And, and so when someone's saying, how's your brother's kids doing? How, you know, tell me what it's like going through this. Tell me about what David's life was like. It gives him some meaning. It still makes his life mean something. You know, the other side of your question sometimes some people aren't the right people to come to me and ask me what's going on. Some people who might say something contrite, like, well, it was in God's plan or, or, or something trite like that. like That's not helpful to a survivor. A survivor needs a space to breathe and talk and, and be around people who just wanna listen, who just turn their ears on and listen. And um, Desmond Tutu said, um, as soon as I can remember here, let people tell of their story, tell of their pain and let others listen we discovered that in telling that people began to experience a healing. There's something powerful, and I, I feel like I'm overemphasizing it maybe, but there's something powerful just about listening. So really, you know, it's, it's not always helpful, another practical thing, it's really not helpful to ask me, well, what was the manner of their death? How did they do it? Sometimes this was not my experience. Sometimes people can find a pretty gruesome visual scene in the aftermath of a suicide. And that can be very, like, think of the loss, but also think about the visual experience of seeing something that traumatic. And that kind of, like, cheapens the experience, moves it away from the loss and into something sensational. So try not to emphasize the manner of their death. You know, try to emphasize what the person's experience was going through it.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, one being the trite, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of the resources I was able to locate uh, through the, res- the, the the website that you had sent over to me is kind of a pretty practical guide uh, mm-hmm. for that. So, um, if if everyone's looking for it, you can go to the the um, the website we had already mentioned, the AF um yeah um and there's one called real Combo guide uh, how to talk mm-hmm. to suicide loss survivor and mm-hmm. um some of the things you were just mentioning are certainly on this list and you know they they caution about utilizing those cliches i mean when when, mm-hmm. when someone when we have loss or we were around others that have a loss i think there's some cliches that Mm-hmm. come out quite a bit like you know mm-hmm. they're in a better place or everything happens for a reason or you yeah. know god will never give you more than you can handle and all, mm-hmm. all those things and um you know i i think in this context for sure it's it's much more hurtful and raw um, and unique i mean you know it's one thing to you know have a, an aging parent who loses their life mm-hmm. due to a chronic mm-hmm. disease doesn't mm-hmm. make it easy but there's an acceptance socially mm-hmm. and 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 mm-hmm. so forth around that versus mm-hmm. an act where maybe somebody was hurtful to themselves and yeah trying to wrap your mind around it or to your point that you mentioned too to use it as a place of judgment to to yeah. and I think that happens too you mentioned it briefly uh, earlier in, in our conversation about you know certain religions and faith-based groups that stigmatize suicide mm-hmm. as something that's anti of that religion and therefore mm-hmm. negates possibly that mm-hmm. and you know in true transparency i mean i was brought up in in the christian faith and it still mm-hmm. am um but mm-hmm. there was a lot around that um mm-hmm. in, in 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 that and i've heard that um and it really took me losing a good friend a couple years ago to suicide and going to his funeral and just hearing the pastor talk about him and celebrating his good and the mm-hmm. life and 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 the struggles that he was battling himself and that mm-hmm. um, not to look at it as a selfish act, but more of mm-hmm. a cry for help. And and mm-hmm. all, it, it was just a, a growing experience for me. But that is a stigma, unfortunately, that sometimes is, is placed out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm glad that you brought it up because um, the last thing grieving people need is someone Mm. to come up to them self-righteous and talk about you know what they should and couldn't have done and 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 so forth so man uh, i i think and so there's lots on this there's 10 on this um you know as Mm -hmm. as far as that Uh, i'll just quickly read them uh it says don't uh, if you don't know what to say but i'm here for you um Mm -hmm. you know let that person just know that you're there and that Mm -hmm. you may not know what to say um, refrain from saying, I understand what you're going through,
1: um, mm-hmm. because the truth mm-hmm.
0: is you don't, um, right. unless you have personally gone through that. And even then every scenario is so unique that right. that's not what they want to hear. Uh, we talked about don't ask intrusive questions, you know, mm-hmm. in other words, allow that person to share what they want to share around the, the facts mm-hmm. of the, of, of what's mm-hmm. gone on versus trying to dig deep into all mm-hmm. the nuances of it. Uh, We just mentioned about avoid the pad advice and hurtful cliches. Do not place the judgment on the suicide um, and do not assign or imply blame. In other words, like Mm -hmm. what could you have done or were you not listening or um, did you miss these signs? Um, Obviously, that's not helpful to anybody. Um, Be proactive about offering help, Um, you know, not just hey, what can I do for you? But be really cognitive of what that person may need in their life. Uh, do mm-hmm. they have children that need to be picked up from school? Do they need yeah. meals brought to their house? Do they need someone to pick them up and bring them out in the gloom? I mean, mm-hmm. what are some mm-hmm. practical things that you can do to actually do something for them? Mm-hmm. Um, don't. And, uh, number eight was don't be afraid to talk about the person who died. In other yeah. words, that opportunity to, to, to really celebrate their life and who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, be patient. You mentioned mm-hmm. this being a journey that's indefinite, yeah. that it's not yeah. a, how quickly can I get over this so that I can resume life? It's right. learning to put that on your back, like you mentioned, carrying mm-hmm. it forward. And mm-hmm. how do we journey with this mm-hmm. and, and be impactful? Mm-hmm. And then lastly is don't disappear. Um, yeah. It's real easy to, to encircle people when they initially go through grief um, and despair. Um, but really, what happens is after that first two, three weeks, those people find themselves on an island because everyone else goes back to their yeah. normal routine um, and, and not to disappear. So, just real quick, how has F3 specifically helped you with that don't disappear in the last 10,
1: 11 months? Man, if I fart sack, my text message is blowing up. When I get back, it's mud pile where have you been? You know, a Nantan is, is really good about checking in. And when, you know, in the weeks right after, you know, I, I took some time off and the guys were like, OK, mud pie, come on back. I know you've been off, but it's time to come back. And so that did not disappearing also means staying connected and encouraging the person to get back to what they know is healthy for them. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. All right, well, I know we're coming up on time. Uh, my man Mudpie, he's uh, he's fitting us in between some clients today, so I, I greatly appreciate him for doing that. And and so, you know, I typically ask a couple final questions, but I'll just kind of end with one today, just, just for time purposes. But before I ask it, I do want to give listeners an opportunity to reach out to you if that's if you're open to that. Yeah. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing, maybe the best way of finding you, contacting you if others Mm -hmm. have questions or then themselves might Mm -hmm. want to employ you to to help them, um, you know, go through this grieving process.
1: So the easiest thing to do would just actually be the internet search my name, Jason A. Tompkins, LCSW. You'll find my webpage or a listing that has my number on it. Or my email address is J-T-O-M-P-K-I-N-S-L-C-S-W at gmail.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you, uh, sharing that. And, and before I ask this question, I do just want to reiterate my gratitude to you and your vulnerability and your willingness to just come and talk about such a difficult topic. Um, not just in theory, but personally, and Mm -hmm. you having to relive some of that uh for us today and with us today but i know the information that you were able to share and and, and the information we're able to put out there is going to make a big impact on many many lives and and listeners um get connected uh look for these resources we mentioned uh, find a local walk uh celebrate Mm -hmm. with those that uh, are celebrating loved ones uh that may have lost um their battle And, uh, you know, just be that support structure um, that we know that we should be as high-impact men across this nation. So, uh, Mud Pie, my final question for you is this. What is your definition
1: of wellness? Wellness. Wow. I should have been prepared for this. I heard you ask someone else this. I think wellness has a lot to do with balance. I think too much rigidity then we're not really balanced, you know, we're good to have a healthy diet, but it's good to have some flexibility, but it's not good to have too much flexibility. I think that goes in the, the realm of our emotional and cognitive well-being as too to find a balance that works for us. Perfect.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation's Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.